great to see you. You can have a seat. Um, you're getting ready to experience something that, uh, of, a, of a biblical practice that many of you probably have never seen before. Uh, but in the New Testament, uh, we are called upon when it is uh, time for the elders of the church to lay hands on and affirm uh, new pastoral elders. And we are uh, inviting uh, two members of our team to come into the pastoral elder team, and we wanted you to participate in that. So I'm going to ask uh, J.J. Lane and Brad Norman to come to the stage. Uh, come on. Let's give it up for those guys. Come on. I'm going to read a passage of scripture from 1 Timothy chapter 3. Here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. That's the word of God. And we want to affirm today that Brad, Norman, and J.J. Lane have met the biblical qualifications for eldership. Uh, we are affirming their giftedness and call into the ministry and service to the body of Christ. And they have demonstrated their call faithfully over a number of years. They are not novices. We have been watching them, and we've been urging them, and we've been helping them, and they have come to a place where the pastoral elders and the elders of Westside Family Church are wanting to lay hands on them today in accordance with Scripture and affirm them as under-shepherds with us of Jesus Christ. The only main shepherd is Jesus, and all we are is servants to come alongside of you for the sake of your spiritual life and relationship. And so uh, uh, Brad is going to continue on his role, in his role as our pastor of Next Steps, but he's uh, obviously speaking into the broader uh, uh, ministry of the church, and J.J. will continue to lead our student ministries, but he'll be brought onto the uh, elder team to uh, provide greater insight and oversight uh, of the broader ministries of Westside Family Church for your sake. Amen? Amen. I'm going to turn it over to Dan Chavern. Well, good morning, everyone. This is a very special day. So we are going to continue a tradition that has been done for 2,000 years where uh, confidence and blessing and love and authority is conferred by the laying on of hands. It's a passing, and it's conferring authority uh, to lead as under shepherds with the, with the emphasis on under, under the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So we're going to now lay hands on them and bless them. Yes, please stand. Uh, if you affirm uh, and support this, please stand. And you can even extend a hand if you'd like to. So, Lord, we just uh, lift up to you, J.J. And, Lord, uh, we pray. Uh, we thank you first for him and his great heart for you, his love for you, his love for this family. Lord, we pray for blessing for his ministry work. 
Lord, you have gone before him and equipped him, Lord, and you have blessed him and given him fruit. And we are grateful for that. We ask you to continue to multiply that fruit for your glory, the glory of the Lord Jesus. We ask you to bless him in his walk, to uh, guide him in his every step, keep him in step with your spirit. Bless his family, his little ones, Lord. But especially, Lord, we just ask you to bless uh, his marriage with Becca. Just bless uh, their family and their home and go before them. Lord, we also, Lord, lift up Brad. Lord, a good, faithful man who you have called to ministry work directly right out of this body, Lord. And you have uh, equipped him and, and called him out uniquely for the work that you've asked him to do. Lord, he is a blessing. We thank you for him, Lord. We ask for blessing and protection. We ask for you to cover he and Julie's marriage, Lord, and enrich it in all things. Keep them unified. Bless their kids, Lord God. Make their home a place of, of, of joy and peace. And Lord, provide their every need, Lord. Bless his ministry work in Christ Jesus and bless all of us, Lord, as we uh, obey you each day. And now, uh, from Ephesians 3.16, we're going to pray this blessing. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is in work at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you. Amen. Let's give it up for JJ and Brad. Welcome to the team, boys. Guys, good to see you. Um, you may be seated uh, after the service today in the commons area. Uh, they're going to be, uh, JJ and, and uh, Brad and, and their wives will be out there. Go by and just uh, and, uh, give them a high five. And we might even have some donuts out there for, for you as well uh, to commemorate this wonderful experience. Uh, we're, you guys ready to dive into the word? Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, I'm going to put a shield up here because I'm speaking on politics today. So uh, you can throw, but it isn't going to come to me, you know. And, uh, but we got a lot going on at Westside. So before we dive in, uh, take a look at this. All right, Ty, the online guy here. We're about to head out, and I let people ask me questions. I'm asking the questions today. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Is water wet? What's up with all the tattoos? Let's go find out. Oh, what are you gonna be when you grow up? Probably a professional soccer player. Okay, wonderful. What number are you? Uh, I'm number 14. Are you going to carry that number throughout your professional career? Or are you going to switch? I might switch. I don't know. Okay. What number would you switch to? Number one. <laughs> and that's all the time we have. Join us next time for more Q&A on the streets. That's good. So a student is taking an, a, fi a final exam in college uh, right before uh, Christmas. And he sits down and realizes that the entire exam 
is all centered around answering one extremely difficult question. And he sat there and he scratched his head and he thought as hard as he could, but eventually he just realized he had nothing to offer. And so he writes on his paper, God only knows Merry Christmas. (laughs) And uh, a week later, he got the paper back from the professor and the professor wrote on the paper, God gets an A, you get an F, Happy New Year. Today we're going to continue and finish our series Q&A where we have taken questions from you and put them into categories and seek to answer them using the scripture. So yeah, we're going to do that today and we're going to end the series uh, with your questions about politics and culture. A pastor talking about politics with an election year coming up. What could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? I have discovered uh, and feel very similar to the sentiments of Dave Barry when he wrote, people who want to share their religious and political views with you almost never want you to share yours with them, right? And so um, that's what we're going to do today. Um, You have asked four uh, specific questions that I find to be extremely difficult, and my answer to all four of these questions is, God only knows, Merry Christmas. (laughs) So I want to already give you uh, an email address of where to send your comments to uh, for this message. It's Dan Chavron at Westside (laughs) Family Church. Now, as risky as this is for me, The reality is we have to talk about this because this being an election year, you are going to be overwhelmed and bombarded 24-7 with signs and ads and tension within your family, neighborhood, and workplace all around this subject. It's going to bombard you and overwhelm you. And the idea that the church would not talk about this is absolutely ludicrous. And the reason is, is that for the Christian disciple, we are to bring the mind of Christ into every single area of our life. And how are you to know how to bring the mind of Christ into this big area unless we talk about it. So I'm willing to risk being liked uh, so that I might do my duty to serve you. My objective, however, will be to limit my comments to the Word of God. And occasionally I'll say something that's my opinion but I will be careful to call it out so you can distinguish the one from the other. You do not want to follow the teachings of Randy Frazee. Consider them, but you definitely are obligated as a follower of Jesus Christ to align your life to the Word of God. Can I get an amen? Amen. Okay, so question number one. Why don't we just dive in? Does God favor Republicans over Democrats? If so, why? Now, I do have personal opinions about that, but you've come here to hear God. So I want to begin by saying God is neither a Republican or a Democrat. 
God is an independent, if you will, and he does not align himself underneath any political party in America or any government system for that matter, but rather rides above them. He is not a pundit for any political party. He does not give stump speeches for any candidate. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 21 says, he, God, controls uh, it controls the course of world events. He removes and sets up other kings. It is God who establishes government. It is God who uh, appoints kings and removes them according to his will. Now keep in mind that God has been overseeing all different types and forms of government, not just showing up on the scene 200 years ago with a republic democracy called the United States of America. He has overseen governments like monarchies, totalitarian regimes, dictatorships, communism, socialism, theocracy, which is a government where God rules, which is the case of Israel in the Old Testament. It's also the case, I think, of all Muslim countries have a theocracy. And he has used all of them to accomplish his grander purpose. He really has. For example, when Jesus faced trial before Pontius Pilate, this is what he said to him in John chapter 19 and verse 11. You will have no power over, you have, would have no power over me unless it were given to you from above. Pontius Pilate thinks he's the big dude in control and he's about ready to execute the crucifixion of the Son of God and he thinks it's in his authority to do so, but Jesus is saying, I'm going to let you do this, but keep in mind, you do not have power over me. You've only been given this power by God. You were playing right into his hand because you're getting ready to execute God, and this execution will actually be payment for the sins of all people, so we're letting you do it. I want to call your attention in the Old Testament to the uh, King Cyrus of the mighty Medo-Persian Empire. Cyrus was not a follower of Jesus, but it was through the influence of God in the heart of Cyrus that Cyrus actually liberated the children of Israel from their exile in the Medo-Persian Empire and allowed them to return home to Jerusalem. Go back all the way to the time of Moses where God called Moses to go back into Egypt and stand before the mighty Pharaoh of Egypt who thought of himself as a God and tell him to let my people go. But we'll see not only in the Old Testament but reinforced in the New Testament that God intervened and hardened Pharaoh's heart on several occasions so he would not let the children of Israel go until God said it was time to let them go. God is in complete and utter control. He is not sweating it whatsoever. Here's the deal. Candidates, the, the, the issue is not whether God favors a particular candidate, but whether or not the candidate favors God. This is the difference. As a matter of fact, King David of the Old Testament gave this exact advice to his son before he turned the throne over to him. He said, son, Solomon, if you will follow the statutes of God and keep them, it will go well with you. If you do not follow the statutes of God, it will not go well with you nor the children of Israel of whom you've been given authority over. Now, when it comes to 
things that matter to God, there are at least four moral issues that are talked about in Scripture that matter to God deeply. And as a follower of Christ, you are to align your life to these things. Number one is the sanctity of life. Number two is the sanctity of marriage. Number three is uh, racial equality. And number four is justice for the poor and the oppressed. There is absolutely zero debate about the clarity of Scripture in these four areas. The challenge for us in America today under our government system is that the Republican Party owns the first two and the Democratic Party owns the second two, making it difficult for us to bring the whole mind of God by voting for one particular candidate. But we must we must figure it out. Now, there are other issues that we must consider besides these four and bring the mind of Christ to, but certainly these are four major drivers, and it is the privilege, but it is also the obligation under our democracy that we take responsibility and participate as citizens of the United States, different from almost any other governmental structure. We are self-governed, and therefore we must show up, and as a follower of Christ, you must bring the mind of Christ into your involvement into this democracy and how you vote. And it's going to be challenging. So God is neither Republican nor Democrat. He does not favor one party over the other, but rather the person that favors him will find favor with God. Amen? Question number two. Why don't we just dig ourselves deeper? Here we go. Is it possible to be a Christian and liberal? I find it hard to identify as a Christian I am no gun-toting, Trump-voting Christian. Is it even safe to say? Laugh out loud. Okay, let's go to question three. No. (laughs) Now, I want you to consider this. Listen very carefully, okay? Um, In the uh, Old Testament, uh, the government that was established is called a theocracy, meaning God is running it. Theo means God. Theocracy. So in the Old Testament, it wasn't just priest and sacrifices and, and robes and candles, but this was actually the governmental system. When we turn the pages to the New Testament, the Jewish religious leaders are desiring for a Messiah to come out of Israel who's going to return them to the dominance of the theocracy they experienced under King David. That's what they're looking for. So when you're looking at the religious leaders, they are looking at this as a government system, not just a religious structure. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, we would consider him liberal according and up against the interpretation of how the religious leaders and the political leaders understood the Old Testament law. For example, did you know that it was Jesus who led the first and most effective feminist movement ever? He elevated uh, the value of women like unbelievably so. Now, it is my opinion, say it's my opinion, it is my opinion that the second feminist movement that started in the 60s has not been all that effective, and now as we're looking back on it, many, many women have realized that they have been duped, and a lot of babies have died in the process. But the movement that Jesus led was considered very liberal. Consider how he healed over and over again on the Sabbath, which was unlawful. Consider how uh, he deeply cared for the poor and the oppressed, mainly considered uh, a, a, a role of a person with a more liberal 
uh, point of view. He ate with sinners whose lifestyle did not align with the law. Jesus was very liberal. Now, for me, the term liberal or conservative isn't the categories that we should be talking about, but rather as a follower of Jesus, I don't particularly care to take on any labels that people want to give me. Tell me the issue that you have in mind, and I will open up God's word, and I will bring common sense to the table, and I will tell you how I feel and how I think about these issues according to the governance of God in my life. One issue at a time. But I do love this question because I think underneath it, this person is uh, surfacing a, um, an issue that gets to the heart of the challenge within the evangelical church, and that is this. There are some Christians who uh, believe that the platform and policies and principles that drive the Republican Party best align with their understanding as a follower of Jesus. However, some of those same people have a difficult time, let's just call it what it is, they have a hard time stomaching Donald Trump. Right? They do. My opinion, I get it. Personally, I wish that President Trump would sign up for a few counseling appointments here at the Westside Counseling Center. I really do. However, I say that tongue-in-cheek, I want you to listen to this very uh, important principle. We need to, what we need to do is to separate policy from personality. Policy from personality or policy from person. Identify where you stand on the issue and then pick the candidate that best represents, in your mind, that can pull that principle off. I think that the same true uh, is true of, of, of Biden, that there are believers who, um, who uh, believe that the platform and the principles and the policies of the Democrat Party overall best in their mind represent the mind of God, uh, and yet they're faced with an issue of voting for the person, Joe Biden, because of his age. And so you're now forced, do I vote for a different person who embraces different principles and policies because I don't like the person or the personality of the person? This is something that you're going to have to wrestle with. I have studied the lives and biographies of many of the United States presidents, and they all have done something good, but many of them have private lives that leave little to be desired. I mean crude misogynistic, and all the kinds of things that you don't like about Donald Trump. It's just that they have done a much better job of concealing it. Donald Trump has the right to remain silent. He just doesn't have the ability. Okay? I'm not trying to be disrespectful, please. Now, keep in mind that throughout biblical history, we see God using kings of all types, and particularly most of them, who did not follow him to accomplish his will. I already mentioned King Cyrus of the Medo-Persian Empire. 65 years later, under the same uh, Medo-Persian Empire, a guy named King Artaxerxes, single-handedly at the influence of God on his life, uh, uh, gave Nehemiah the resources that he needed to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem to strengthen their theocracy. He essentially gave him an unlimited Home Depot card to the cedars of Lebanon and the protection that they needed against their enemies. In my opinion, say it, in my opinion, 
I think Donald Trump is more like King Cyrus or Artaxerxes than a fully devoted follower of Jesus. I don't know him personally, but that's what I seem, in my opinion, uh, to pick up. And just like with Cyrus and Artaxerxes, I think that God allowed Donald Trump to be president. And while he was president, regardless of what you think about him, he used him to put in place Supreme Court justices that overturned Roe v. Wade, which I think is a really, really, really big deal. And some of you can clap, and some of you will not. But as a result, this is the result... As a result, abortions are down in the United States, in the strictest states, by 96%. Now, when we're talking over 700,000 babies aborted every year, 96% in some of the strictest states is a big number. And that's pretty exciting. Oh, I want to say so much more, but I'll move on. So, the answer is yes, you can be liberal or conservative. I would throw away the titles and go straight to the issue, open up the word of God and let your yes be yes, your no be no, follow God and all's going to go well for you. And I'm expecting you as a Westsider who follows Jesus to bring that mindset into your activity in this amazing government we have and into your vote. And all of God's people said? Okay, here we go. Question number three, not as difficult but still very important. By putting modern social issues on the same level of importance as salvation, is the church making it unnecessarily difficult for people to come to faith in Jesus? This is a good question, and it's spot on, because some of the social issues uh, bring uh, difficulty for some people, and it keeps them from ever seeing Jesus for who he is. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? See, as Christians, we are called to be salt and light in the world that we live in. We're to bring healing and preservation to the things that are at the very heart of God or to react to the things that are violently opposed to God. But if we spend all of our energy fixing the temporary problems that people have in this short life that we live and they die without Jesus as their Savior, this has been a huge miss. People need Jesus more than any other single thing. Can I get a hallelujah for that? This is eternity that we are talking about. So the church must keep our main focus on the gospel and people coming into a relationship with Jesus. Several years ago, a number of years ago now, I was in an intimate gathering with a gentleman by the name of Peter Drucker, who is known as the father of modern-day management. Some of you business people have read his stuff. He was also a very deeply devoted follower of Jesus. And he said to us, room of pastors, he said, the mainline denominational church in the 1900s began to decline and seriously decline because they shifted their primary focus from the gospel to social issues to the point by the mid-1900s you could not walk into a mainline, many mainline denominational churches and ever even know what it meant to become a follower of Jesus. They were all about the social issues. And he said, whenever you remove the gospel from the church, you remove the power of God in that church and it will decline. At Westside, we are involved in social issues. I wrote down some, to the orphan, to the poor, to racial reconciliation, to clean water around the world, to support children uh, at risk, homelessness, uh, 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 advice and aid in terms of the sanctity of life, human trafficking. As a matter of fact, on human trafficking, uh, 
We support a number of organizations in Kansas City because human trafficking is an issue. And a part of our unshakable initiative is to, to put more and more resources, human and financial, against it. So one little tiny thing that we've done is that we bought 200 uh, tickets to uh, the showing of the movie Sound of Freedom starring Jim Caviezel. And all of the money is going to Rehope, an organization that seeks to uh, help uh, the victims of sexual uh, human trafficking in Kansas City get their life back together again through residential housing. So after the service, if you're interested, on November the 30th at the AMC 20 Theater in Leewood to see The Sound of Freedom, uh, we have uh, little wristbands out there. Pick up as many as you like until they're gone. All the money is going to human trafficking because Westside Family Church cares about the issues that God cares about. However, we never do any of this without making it overtly clear to everyone that our intent is to follow the pattern of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, it says that Jesus met people at their point of pain and he healed them. But then as a result, they came back to him and discovered him as their savior. We never separate our social justice from letting people overtly know that our big concern and our big interest is that they might find the gospel, that they might find grace, and that they might find Jesus. Listen to this quote. The church as a body aims not primarily at improving the social order. Her main objective is the salvation of men and women. The social improvement that may result when many people are saved is desirable. But when the church forsakes her primary task of preaching the gospel to engage political uh, enterprises, her true mission is lost. Yeah. Question number four, the final question we're going to answer today has the church repented of the decision to close and mask during COVID? Have lessons been learned? And will the church not be following government dictates to close in the future? Woo That's a zinger of a question. <laughs> now, I have personal thoughts that have similar emotions uh, to whoever's writing this. So thank you for honestly asking the question. Uh, my personal opinion, you heard that. My personal opinion was this, this thing sort of snuck up on us called COVID-19. I felt like the government officials in the medical community were scrambling to do their very best to provide protection for us. I didn't see, sense any ill intent in the initial uh, initiatives and, 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 and their motives. As time went on, in my heart, I began to feel a little bit of a power play. I began to feel a little duped along the line, and in my opinion, I sensed that some of it was driven by a lot of people making a lot of money, but that's my opinion. Why, why would you care about my opinion? You might have a completely different opinion. Uh, my opinion doesn't matter. What does God say? And God has a very distinct thing to say in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Listen in. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authorities are rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring 
punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. There is no way that you have to go to seminary to find the proper interpretation of what is being said here. It is overtly clear what is the question is going to be, are we going to align our lives to the will of God and to the word of God when something inside of us is stirring and stirring and stirring? Now, at Westside, we were one of the first churches to close our doors, and we believe that what the government and, uh, and what the medical community was asking us to do seemed like it was coming from a, a good heart uh, with an intent uh, to provide protection. I don't think they fully knew the outcome. Oh, everyone's super smart, you know, looking backwards, 2020. Uh, and so we closed our doors in a way uh, to demonstrate our obedience uh, to scriptures, Roman chapter 13, and we also knew that you can't shut down the church by causing us not to meet in a building. We have the Holy Spirit for crying out loud, you know? So we were okay. We didn't want to do it, but we looked at the scriptures and looked at what was presented to us, and we felt like that we should do that. Uh, the, now, the scriptures does say that there are limits to your obedience, and that is when the state directly conflicts with the law of God. As a matter of fact, Paul said in Acts chapter 5 and verse 29, we must obey God rather than humans. And I take you back to the story of Daniel under the Babylonian Empire. And Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were faced with some serious challenges. In the life of Daniel, there was a law established where no one could pray to any other god but the king of Babylon. And Daniel said, dude! That's not going to happen. And he didn't even do it in his closet. He went out on his patio and prayed openly to God three times, knowing that it was disobedience. But he was willing to be disobedient in that regard and also suffer the consequences of being disobedient. And the king reluctantly had to throw him into the den of lions, but in this particular occasion, God rescued him from it. His three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, King Nebuchadnezzar, an egomaniac, set up uh, statues of himself in every one of his provinces and required people to bow down only to him as God. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, no can do. And this is what it says. King Nebuchadnezzar, this is what they said to him, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But if, we, but if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. You have crossed the line, and we're willing to sacrifice our life to be obedient to God other than to you. At Westside, whenever we sensed that the government was maybe lost or taking things too far, or maybe even possibly, in my opinion, picking on churches, uh, we were one of the first also to return. Now, we did not violate what they were asking. We just took a more liberal interpretation of what was being offered to us and left it to the people to decide whether or not you wanted to come back or watch online. And we feel that we did a good job of balancing what the scripture says to what society offered us. So I humbly respond to this question by saying, we don't feel a need to repent, but rather we rejoice. We must remember 
that the United States is a very, very special place. And almost no one doubts that the founding of this country emerged out of the life and teaching of Jesus, which values individual life and values the human life above all things. As a matter of fact, we see this in our founding documents. The Declaration of Independence reads, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among them, uh, are, these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I don't know if you've ever been to the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. I've been there numerous times. I recommend it to you. There's one uh, uh, room that you go into, and you, you lean up against this contraption, and it takes you on a ride through Washington, D.C., and it stops you at all of the buildings, uh, and there are dozens of them that have the Word of God inscripted uh, into the buildings, making it very clear in the foundation of this country, it was, it was marked by a passion for us to be a self-governing body that values all human beings according to the teachings of Jesus. There's a story told of a lady named Mrs. Powell who actually accosted Ben Franklin as he was coming out of the building after signing the documents, and she said, well, doctor, what do we have, a republic or a monarchy? And Franklin shot back, a republic, madam, if we can keep it. You see, to keep a government that values all people as God intended, you have to work hard at keeping it. The believers that we read about in the New Testament didn't have the opportunity that we have. They had no say in government whatsoever. But we have established a government uh, by the people and for the people. That's what a republic democracy is. And so therefore, we not only have the right, but we have the responsibility to self-govern in a way that freedom emerges for all people. And there's a thing called the golden triangle of freedom that I just read about uh, yesterday. And the triangle of freedom says, for there to be freedom, there must be virtue. And virtue is people doing the right thing, self-governing, treating people well. But then it goes on to say, for there to be virtue, there must be faith. Because faith is what drives us beyond our selfish self to a bigger cause that God is, is determining. So that when there is faith, there is virtue. And when there is virtue, there is freedom. I want to read two quotes to you from a book by Eric Metaskis. Let me see if I can. Uh, this is from John Adams, our second president. He writes, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. This is a dangerous system we have, self-governing, right? It requires virtue. And what John Adams says, it's not going to work if people are not driven by their faith. And then Tocqueville, the French uh, political thinker who came to America from France and looked at what was going on in America in the early years, and this is what he wrote. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great 
because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. We have a part in this, the outcome of our story. But I want to remind you as I close, at the end of the day, the world is being shaken. There's only going to be, at the end of the day, one government that stands, one kingdom that stands, and it's going to be the kingdom of Jesus. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is the Lord of all, okay? So my best advice for you, to make this all simple, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will take care of itself. You ask, when is Jesus returning to set up this new kingdom? My answer, God only knows. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Let's be standing to our feet. Heavenly Father, now we worship you in this amazing country where we can without any fear. Uh, And we worship you with all of our heart. Guide our minds as we leave this place today for the sake of your kingdom. And everyone said, Amen. amen.